This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all blow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. On our show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. Yo, Michael! Come down here for a second, I need to talk to you. What do you want from me? All Michael wanted to do was to fit in. You don't know how much I've been through in my life, Jamie. From the time I've been kicked on, pushed on, spit on. Willie, you have no idea. But when he realized that it would never happen, <laughs> well, I'll leave Jade alone, I swear. He turned to the one thing he knew could even the score. A badass mofo from the horror hood. Known as Killjoy. young woman can destroy the evil in the heart. Folks, welcome once again to Howling at the Full Moon, cinema degeneration show that brings you everything Charles Band and Charles Band related, from Full Moon to Empire. My co-host this evening is once again Dustin Hubbard. How are you doing this evening, Dustin? Hey, I am fantastic. Thanks for having me back, as always. 
Ah, uh, are, are you excited for this episode? Because I know I sure am. <laughs> oh, I'm super, super pumped. <laughs> it's, it's, you know what? It's ground zero for one of Fulmer's, you know, most famous franchises. So it's got that going for it. Yes, yes, it does. Uh, well, let's let's get off into it. We are going to be reviewing the infamous Killjoy from the year 2000, uh, directed by Craig Ross and written by Carl Washington. And the IMDb synopsis is as follows. This is not very uh, lengthy. It is just this. Three youngsters encounter an evil clown. And <laughs> <laughs> I, like even the people who wrote the IMDb synopsis was like, yeah, we're not even trying. We don't care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quick and but, to the point. Yeah, quick and to the point. Uh, but this was a a first and one time only feature for Craig Ross. It was the second feature film, and it stars Angel Vargas as Killjoy. Who it bears mentioning that there are four Killjoy sequels, so there's five movies total. We're reviewing the first one. We'll try not to get too much into the sequels because we're just not doing those right now. We'll do them when we get to them. But yeah, it, uh, Angel Vargas was replaced by Trent Haga, who played uh, Killjoy in the four furthering sequels. So it was just kind of weird. It was an, an abrupt way of being reintroduced to the character when I watched this. This is only the second, maybe third time I've watched this film. And I don't know that I'm probably ever... <laughs> I'm ever going to watch it again. I don't know that I ever ever need to unless someday I like you know, want to do a marathon of these and I decide I want to torture myself again. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, it starts with a very badly acted melodramatic scene between uh, Jada, her friend Monique, talking about boys. And this boy that she's kind of sweet on, but not sort of sweet, sweet on. Uh, named Michael is very into her, but she's not really into him. She's seen a guy named Lorenzo, and Lorenzo's played by William L. Johnson. He's really the 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 to say that he's the best actor in the movie is saying a lot. Uh, there's <laughs> really not saying a lot because the the three main actors we got Michael, who is played by Kareem Grimes, Jada played by Vera Yell, and Lorenzo is William L. Johnson. Uh, Will uh, Jada is the character that is the love interest of several different men in this movie because she's with Lorenzo in the beginning. It does a time jump of, was it, it's one year, right? I uh, believe so, yeah. I couldn't remember if it was one year or two years. One year sounds right. <laughs> and then she's just with another man named Jamal. Lorenzo has already moved on to another guy, but Michael is into her. It, <laughs> he's already it, moved on it, to another girl. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's already moved on to another girl. He 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 doesn't he doesn't even remember her pretty much. I mean, and right at the beginning, Michael asks her out to was it homecoming dance or prom or something like that, even though he knows that she's got a boyfriend. And the Lorenzo character is kind of a gangster, you know, and him and his boys come by. Uh, was it T Bone and Baby Boy? That's it. I get both of them mixed up. I don't know one from the other, uh, but they're his cronies. They beat Michael up, stomp him down and around, and he turns to summoning Killjoy. We're not really, we don't really get any insight to who Killjoy is before this. It's just kind of, 
is a very Chucky child's play like thing. They're trying to do the whole ah Dewey Dembala, you know, kind of voodoo speech, but all he says over and over again is come alive, kill joy, come alive. <laughs> and it's would you agree that it's not very inspiring? It's a very, very powerful chant. <laughs> <laughs> come alive, kill joy, come alive. Come alive, kill joy, come alive. alive. Yeah, over it's uh, and over again. It's very basic. <laughs> yeah, very very so. generic. But and then, you know, we get uh what's it uh B- baby boy and uh and T-Bone show up at uh well, it's this baby boy I think it is who starts calling at Michael's door. Michael's got an apartment. He's got a little place. And, you know, one of Lorenzo's boys shows up and is like, hey, man, yeah, I know what's going on. I know it's cool. Hey, I just want to be your friend. Come on down. Come on down. And I'm just like, you know, it wasn't the first time I seen this, but I'm just going, nah, don't do that. That's 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 going to be, you know, it's going to be have an adverse reaction if you go downstairs. And, of course, <clears throat> and he tells him the line. He's like, hey, I know what's up. I just want to be your friend. I'm like. Big clue. Anybody in life that, you know, beats you up and then a half an hour later says, hey, come on outside. I want to talk to you. If that happens in life or in the movies, don't, don't go, don't go. (laughs) You know, it's always a trap. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, but if people follow the rules, it'd be, it'd be a very short movie, I guess. So they take him on a joyride. They trick him by thinking, uh, they put a gun to his head, or Lorenzo does. He's like, hey, the gun's, you know, basically, he had t- previously told his friends that the gun wasn't loaded. He tricks him by putting the gun mm-hmm. to his head, pulling mm-hmm. the trigger. It clicks empty. But then he points it at him again and pulls the trigger and shoots Michael's point blank square in the chest, and he dies. And his friends all freak out, you know, and uh, we get a very generic title card that says, like, one year later. <clears throat> and... Uh, Jada is now in bed with her her boyfriend Jamal, played by Lee Marks, who again is just a really bad actor. This, this movie is plagued with bad acting. It, by saying you know that the the fella that plays the homeless man is the best actor in the movie, it, it between him and Lorenzo are are the two least worst actors. It, it, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to be as diplomatic as possible, but. Acting is just very bland and uh, and and un- uninspired, and that that got to be a problem for me. I mean, was it as much as a problem for you? It leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, there's, uh, I think maybe standout performances for me are probably the homeless guy, the homeless man, and and I'll I'll go there. I don't mm-hmm. think that mm-hmm. Angel Vargas is bad. No, he he's not bad, but when you get into later sequels, uh, Trent Haga was a much more well-rounded uh, Killjoy. I just appreciate his performance as Killjoy a little bit better than Angel Vargas. It's, this movie is plagued with, uh, you know, an attempt at making a Freddy Krueger-type character down to the, the red and the green lighting in certain scenes. With a lot of cheesy one-liners, you know, a, a lot of one-liners that just, for me, weren't that funny. You know, usually I get a chuckle out of some of these, and my wife certainly got a chuckle out of some of them, but <laughs> I, I, 
I did not. And I found myself cringing at him. I was just like, oh, just, oh, this so so bad. But we'll get in. We'll get into some more of that later. Uh, Lorenzo's boys get taken away uh, by Killjoy, uh, T Bone, and Baby Boy for such badasses. You know, they're sitting around getting high, talking about who they're going to kill next, and. Killjoy entices them with an ice cream truck, telling them that he's got just simply that he's got drugs for him. They're like, okay, yeah, we'll just like get in the back of this random dude's like ice cream truck. It's like, don't they tell you that as kids to stay away from the guy in the ice cream truck? He just entices them with like a joint, too. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Just a joint. Not like, hey, I got bricks of this stuff back here. No, just a joint. And they're not even like really kind of noticing this guy's in full clown makeup. So a clown shows up in a ice cream truck offering you doobies. You just, you know, some warning signs weren't going off for these guys. You know, I, I just, you just have to believe the unbelievable suspension of disbelief. But uh, now this is where it gets a little weird. They go into the back of his ice cream truck, but they're instantly kind of like in a weird Batman kind of transition whoosh and they're they're taken away till Killjoy's hell or sort of like a purgatory what was your take on that yeah it's like um it's like a doorway to his world I don't whatever his world is I'm assuming it's not hell but it's like some kind of you know nether region that he I guess is kind of like the top dog of and the ice cream truck serves as sort of like his his gateway to that. So, which I mean is is a common theme that they kept up through the series, but this is the only one where it's a an ice cream truck. So, yeah, I kind of looked upon uh, the note I made here was that the ice cream truck was kind of like uh, the Doctor's TARDIS and Doctor Who. It's just uh, much bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. But yeah. that was about the one cool aspect of the. Of the, it kind of had a. There, I'm a was at one time and still am to some extent a video gamer, and it reminded me <clears throat> of a series of games called Twisted Metal, where there was a character that drove around. Uh, it was an evil clown that drove around an ice cream truck, so it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. So I do give it a little po- a point for that kind of not so much originality, but uh, just for creativity. Yeah, I think they they were smarter to streamline it a bit for later sequels with it being his his passageway to the the killjoy world being a mirror and and not like a a giant clunky vehicle and stuff so but uh yeah that was one thing that that changed for the better with the later sequels yeah yeah so it sends them to his world which is basically like a rundown warehouse in oblivion not the not the old west town but the yeah not full moon oblivion and not even phantasm oblivion this is just sort of killjoy's oblivion it's his own world again i kind of attribute it that they were i think that what they were trying to create was a sort of wisecracking freddy that oh, were his, you know, his, his his psycho circus dream world or, or, you know, purgatory or whatever. It was kind of like Freddy's dream world a little bit. But he entices uh, Baby Boy and T-Bone to get into the 
ice cream truck. They're transported to his world, and I made it open. I'm like, everybody, when they go to this world, they do the su- superhero landing. Down to one knee, hands planted. <laughs> yeah. So they- I noticed that, too. There's a lot of uh, weird uh, camera work and uh, staging, uh, you know, choreography where they do this, like, landing and, like, yeah, like a superhero stance. It's almost like they're like they've just been, you know, jettisoned from the future in like a Terminator movie, and they're landing like they're Schwarzenegger. Yes. <laughs> like, yes, yes, they're pretty much getting the the the, the Schwarzenegger landing. Yeah, yeah. With, like a very strategic lineup of them too. Like one, two, and you know, and the camera keeps like backing up as the next one drops and stuff, which I, you know, is very been there done that but it's still it's still amusing that the effort was <laughs> put in to really get like a staged shot of you know the meat arriving you know and they do that two or three times so two, uh, two if not three at least yeah, yeah it's at least three but yeah they they uh, baby boy and t-bone don't last very long uh Pilljoy uh runs over uh uh, baby boy and then he bur- burns up t-bone which is probably like not the first cgi death or not the first cgi effect that we had in this movie but it was probably the best one because there's a lot of them a lot of cgi disintegrations death by disintegration you know but uh but not <laughs> yeah, death all- but not death by pixelation yeah there are a lot of like like computer animated uh degenerations <laughs> in, in this movie where it's you know it's mostly these gangster characters as they just you know get killed and then later defeated like once or twice again where they just keep right. like breaking down into like a mess of like cgi pixels so. <laughs> but it was the, it was the effects of the time in yep. year 2000 you know yep. that the, the effects were still very not newish, but they were newer. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, the nature of things. <laughs> Baby boy gets run over. T Bone gets burned up, and then it flashes to Lorenzo, who we see is still a huge piece of shit. He is treating his current girlfriend, uh, who I couldn't remember the character's name. I didn't write it down, but uh, his current girlfriend. He is. You know, it starts off into him a year later. He's having sex with her. He post-coital treats her like shit. Just treats her like complete garbage. And I was just like, yep, guy is still a huge piece of shit. But two minutes later, you know, after pretty much kind of telling her, go take a shower, wash yourself, get out of my place, get the fuck out of here. He's being as big of a dick to her as he can. He all of a sudden just starts wandering around his the back of his place and there's killjoy's ice cream truck which he just decides to hop in the back of you know these guys i don't understand their infatuation with 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 the ice cream truck i don't know how many grown men are infatuated with uh you know how many adults just always climb into random ice cream trucks no 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 (laughs) not not even when i was a little tyke i didn't you know you know, I was warned against such things. Don't take candy from strangers. Don't get into random uh, ice cream trucks that are driven by killer clowns. You know, as this is words I've lived by, and I'm, you know, closing in on 50 years old, and so far it's worked for me. I'm going to keep doing it. Or, or driven by Clint Howard. So, 
Yeah, I would not get into any car driven by Clint Howard. Love you, <laughs> love you, Clint, but you know, not going to get into a car with you. That's an unspoken rule of thumb. So <laughs> yeah, don't get don't get into into a vehicle where Clint Howard is driving. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> it. But uh, you know, again, now Lorenzo is traipsing around Freddy's nightmare world. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, Killjoy's uh, Psycho Circus world, uh, and he. You know, really, the only scene that I kind of liked—it was the one of the well, one of the few scenes that I thought was kind of interesting. Killjoy uses his dead friends to kind of mock him and make fun of him, and I thought the makeup wasn't too bad. There's not a lot of, you know, practical effects. There's a lot of CGI blood and a lot of, you know, stuff done after the fact. You know, not effects done on camera. But I thought that the makeup effects on the kind of they're kind of like dream demons or like nightmare visions. I thought that was decent. But the, the, the next scene, Lorenzo shoots Killjoy, and I'm sure the same thing is on your mind. Uh, I didn't count them, but how many bullets? I know they're they're in a, a dream world here, but how many bullets was that gun supposed to hold? It, it, it was a revolver, and he uh, shoots it like at least 17 times. I believe it is roughly about 21 times he shoots it, and it should only hold six bullets. <laughs> So, and he never reloads, so. No, never reloads. I can sort of forgive that just because it's not reality. It's Killjoy's reality. So, yeah, you know, I, I kind of get it. I, I get you can fudge the numbers there. But it just took me out of it. It's like, you know, it's like the Loomis. I shot him six times, but fired seven bullets. But no, this is I shot him six times, but I shot 25 bullets. I <laughs> It's a but, magic uh, yeah. reloading gun. That's the magic of Killjoy's world. So even let, lets his enemies reload onto quick. But but I don't know. Anyway, anyway but I, I I did think this was not the good effect of the movie because there are no really good effects. But I love the idea behind it that Killjoy takes these 20, 25 bullets and he literally spits them back like a howitzer machine, you know, machine gun or a Gatling gun out of his mouth, literally spitting bullets at him. It was an interesting idea. Just again, poor CGI, poor effects. It was just, yeah, just just bad CGI. This movie has a whole lot of bad CGI in it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's riddled with bad CGI. It was then, like the new toy of the era. So. Yeah, you know, and then and, and just being twenty years later, it's just it has not aged well. It 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 wasn't good back then, and it's even twice as bad now. <laughs> but uh, I did make a a, a comment here, or a, a notation here. It said horror vision slash old tech alert pager city, because all of a sudden they you know uh, Jada gets a, a, a page, and I'm just like, oh. When pagers were a thing 20 years ago, how technology yep. is just so, so advanced. But th this is the part where the movie takes uh, another weird turn, uh, where the homeless man shows up. The, the homeless man shows up, the pro prophet of doom. He's kind of like uh, a more refined, crazy Ralph that shows up at Jada's friend's house, Monique's house, to just shows up to warn her, I, I guess. like. I'm not quite sure who he is, 
or who he's supposed to be. I mean, he's just very random, shows up. You think he's going to kill her. I mean, at least that's what I thought was going to happen. And he he, he has uh, Monique call uh, Jada and her new boyfriend, Jamal, to come over. So basically he can tell them, so he can show them, so to speak, how Michael summoned Killjoy using a like black magic and a devil doll that was made up to look like Killjoy, but never really fully explains who who Killjoy is. He never really is explained as to who he is either, because he's kind of spying on Michael from a distance in the earlier part of the movie. So he's like aware of everything. So he is kind of like that weird, crazy Ralph-ish type character but then like later on he just appears and he just knows everything and knows exactly like all of the reasoning he's kind of like a Creighton Duke too in a way where he's like where he's like oh this is what happened you know this is the only way you can defeat him so uh, now go do it yeah it's very much it's a little bit of Chucky a little bit of Friday the 13th Crazy Ralph and a little bit of uh Jason goes to hell with Creighton Duke. That's a great uh, comparison there. Yeah, because in a way, it sort of reminds me of like some of the later sequels too, where there seems to be like you know, I kind of get the feeling that like he would know who Killjoy is and like what what's going on there. But like watching it again, I kind of got the vibe that he was sort of like one of those. I don't know you would call them, but like in some of the later sequels where there's like a hag or someone kind of like kind of like the old haggis character from Pumpkinhead that would be the one who you contact to summon the demon because Killjoy, even in this one, to a degree, he's like a he's like a vengeance demon, I guess, that you would summon to, you know, exact your revenge against people and stuff. And he kind of gave off that vibe as some of the later sequels is like hag characters, but then Uh, kind of not because he just sort of like, he's just the answer guy that has all the exposition. And he's like, go do this, kill the doll. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting that you made. How did he know Michael knew black magic? (laughs) Like, (laughs) was he there? That's the only thing I was going to say. He wasn't there, but you know, it's, Yeah, it was just very convenient writing. But it's funny that you mentioned Pumpkinhead. I made a uh, a note almost at the very end was that Michael and Killjoy have a very symbiotic relationship, kind of like Ed Harley and Pumpkinhead in the original Pumpkinhead. Totally. And it's a note I meant. I'm like, they have a Pumpkinhead-like relationship. You know, Michael is Pumpkinhead, Pumpkinhead, you know, or Michael is Killjoy, Killjoy is Michael. Sort of, but... Not really. Is that that human that summons them? I mean, they're the they're the giver of life, so they sort of. It, I feel like in any movie, they sort of in a scenario like that, they would sort of become like it would be a symbiotic relationship where one would kind of rely on the other. You know. Yeah, it's just like he doesn't necessarily give him life, but but he definitely you know he he summons him summons him. Mm-hmm. He gives him power. It definitely, because uh, without him, you know, Killjoy would have had no purpose. Nope. But I love the line that the homeless man has, and many, many people were killed. I'm like, three. It, it, it was three. It wasn't many, yeah, many it was people. A, it's a very controlled body count. <laughs> yeah. like there's, there's literally, like, 
like eight characters or something total in this movie, minus a couple extra characters. But yeah, there and, is there's no deaths. So yeah, I mean, uh, Killjoy does not even appear until like tw- I mean the movie is an hour and ten hour and twelve minutes long, and Killjoy doesn't appear till almost half an hour into it. And yeah. really, I mean, there's one death before he shows up, but he doesn't commit the first kill until a good half an hour into the movie. Yeah, you know, not necessarily that you need a huge body count, but it was, it, it, it still, it didn't move very fast. Yeah. And I don't even like counting kills like Michael's as a, as like a horror reviewer too, because it's like he, he wasn't killed via any means of kill joy. And it was kind of like, I don't like human to human kills, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, you know, unless you're like count, counting a movie where it's hum- nothing but human, human to kill, yeah, like something yeah. like The Purge. Yeah, like it, a slasher it, movie or something, or you know, yeah. and like I'll give you a perfect example. Like I hated it when I watched it as a kid, but I grew up and I learned to understand the magic that is Friday the Thirteenth Part Five: A New Beginning. I used to fucking hate that opening scene with Joey trying to give. Uh, suicide from return of the living dead his chocolate bar and he's like here vic i'll leave it i'll leave it right here for you and he gets pissed and he and he axes him up i mean obviously that had to happen as the catalyst for the whole point of the movie but i'm like i don't like i'm watching it and i'm like i don't like that this kid got axed up by this other dude instead of all these other people getting killed by jason i mean granted yeah. But, like, that's kind of my example of, like, I don't like when people just kind of die by accident or by, like, human people's hands when there's, like, a primary adversary that is the main focus of the movie. I just feel kind of cheated. Yeah, but I guess in some situations, and like this, I mean, or or even that, I guess you have to have those, you know, an occasional kill like that or something that's actually the, the inciting incident that actually begins the the conflict so but yeah like there were only three people killed by killjoy at that point there weren't really a lot of people um well it was just like you know you mentioned we mentioned uh Pumpkinhead and some the lineage is still the, the the same between this movie and that movie it's like ed harley's son getting you know killed that had to happen in order for you know for him to call upon the vengeance demon so yeah, you have to have a reason to want revenge. So death is usually the best reason in a in a film. So, but yeah, that's this the, the way it is. But yeah, I don't necessarily count Michael's death as uh, as a death so much in the movie until we get to when Killjoy starts bumping people off. And why is the homeless man such a like a cheerleader for Michael's like? side of things too if if i hadn't seen all the sequels i would assume that he might be related to him somehow too that was something that also went through my mind but having seen the later sequels i know that he's not like michael's father or anything like that yeah it, it all feels very michael's random father, yeah michael's father would later appear in part three so but so it shows me that's not who that is he's just some random bum with like all happens, he just happens to know everything. He knew everything that Michael did. He knew everything that happened to Michael. Yeah, he, he's like omniscient. He just knows everything. Yeah. Wish I had that omnipotent kind of power. I could just like read minds and teleport and do all that kind of shit. I mean, must be a burdensome thing to bear. Yep. Uh, totally. 
but he he has his Creighton Duke moment. He kind of tells him the same thing that Creighton Duke says, and Jason goes to hell. You got to destroy his heart, you know. And uh, but you know, destroy his heart, destroy the doll, and then creepy dude just walks away, and he just kind of raises his hands up in another pixelation morphing moment where he just disappears. And yeah, he just. I didn't understand that either because I didn't totally. I've seen this movie so many times, and I didn't even remember that he just sort of like disintegrates into like weird CGI who like he wasn't even alive or like he's a spirit or something. Yeah. You he know what? Like, I, like spirit guardian angel. Well, I thought maybe, maybe this was my, me writing backstory for stuff. Cause you know, if we're not given backstory as a writer and a filmmaker mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. I come up with a backstory on my own. Yeah. You, you have to fill it in yourself. Well, I always thought that, that, the homeless man must have been a former victim of Killjoys and that somehow he was kind of linked to him and maybe had called once himself. It was kind of like an Ed Harley that, you know, was always kind of linked to him. So he was always kind of, if Killjoy was there, maybe a bit of him was always, was always there too. But then again, you know, who knows, who knows really? We'll find out. We'll find out more in later sequels, but we will. I will say I I like your I like your idea of the homeless man actually being a a former victim or maybe a former conjurer even of Killjoy. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for a movie that doesn't make much sense, it it would a you know if, even I mean, if they yeah, could just ask. Well, you know, they, if they don't connect the dots for you, you you you're left to connect the dots yourself. So that's. You know, like I said, this was the, the second or third time. I know I watched it at least twice uh, before. So this would be, yeah, probably be the third, maybe fourth viewing. I don't know that I'll watch Killjoy 1 again. I'll keep it in my collection because, you know, it's full moon and it's on DVD and I'm a physical media nut. So I will keep it. But, but you need it when they do the remastered Blu-ray version. <laughs> nah. Uh, I don't know if I, I need to see these bad CGI effects upscaled <laughs> at all. Like, not at all. No, no desire. No desire. Not if, even if, if it some... had special Angel Vargas audio commentary. Ah, uh, damn it. You might have got me there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's wishful thinking. But... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, since he turned down doing Killjoy 2, I'm sure he, there's no interest for him to do, Make, you know. Makes you wonder, like, in situations like that, too, you know, you do you think he knows there were four, like four actual more movies after that? And that, you know, Trent Haggai ended up kind of becoming the face of the franchise. I, I always wonder things like that when, you know, someone steps down and someone else takes over a primary, you know, villain slash kind of icon character like that. If, yeah. you know, the former person <laughs> is aware of like how much gets done after them or especially in a situation like this where the, the replacement actually became the norm and is the person that's actually identified for the franchise, not Angel Vargas. Kind of like um, Denise Duff with subspecies. She came along absolutely, with... Absolutely. That's a perfect example. But people don't even really acknowledge the fact that it's not her in part one. You know, well, we we did. We did when we reviewed it well, we, a few we weeks did. ago. <laughs> we we did because we're completists and purists, you know, and we're going to do mean, that. 
I will say, you know, and I'll, I'll just make a brief point about it because it's not the movie we're talking about, but they do, they do touch on Angel Vargas and Killjoy's Psycho Circus, you know, because there is a, a joke set up talking about how they made a movie about Killjoy and they show the DVD of part one and they say, oh yeah, Angel Vargas played him in the first one, but all the sequels, it was Trent Hager because Hager was doing a cameo as himself being entered by himself as Killjoy. So it was like a, you know, multi-layered meta joke. But they do address the fact that I do, it was I do remember that a little bit. So, I remember Trent Haga inter, inter, interviewing himself, but I forgot which, the, the reference to Angel Vargas. Which I did I did actually find amusing that they gave Angel Vargas the shout-out. Because uh, I think that in movies, especially like with this movie, I think that he probably gets more flack than he deserves. I don't think that it's the Killjoy that we all think of or that we love. And it's not like, you know, it's not like a maybe like Fangoria Chainsaw Award winning type performance, you know, certainly not Oscar. But, <laughs> but uh, I don't I don't think that he's bad. I just I don't think he's great. But I think he did something completely unique i just think uh and he looks kind of cool his makeup i think is uh pretty i decent. do like the makeup i i, lo- I love yeah yeah his makeup's decent i think his hair is kind of awkward but it's not as awkward as it does get because i think his most awkward hair is actually in part two but uh and it's extremely yeah. poofy in, in part two <laughs> Yeah, the hair is so big. The hair is so big in part two that Trent has to literally like tiptoe through scenes because it looks like if he moves too fast, like the hair will fall off because uh, the <laughs> wig was so massive. And Angel's wig is like ridiculous too, but it's 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 not as clunky looking as Trent's in part two. So the hair is, you know, the hair is kind of crazy, but looks looks good. I think his wardrobe is kind of cheap looking in part one yeah it, it kind of it, it, it looks store-bought <laughs> yeah he's got them huge fucking gloves that make it look really i don't know it just makes his his hand motions and stuff look very awkward because it's kind it kind of gives off gives off like a fabric version vibe of uh remember what christopher lloyd looked like in who framed Roger Rabbit when he'd put on the glove when yes. he'd like dunk the, dunk the tunes and like kill them and stuff. It kind of just reminds me of that, but like way cheaper because the, it's these preposterously huge gloves that just look, I mean, they, I mean, they, they fit. They look awkward. But just they very look awkward. Super awkward and stupid, but you know, it works. But, but yeah, I don't, I think it's an people, awkward, people, goofy character. You know what I mean? He's always wisecracking and being funny. So the fact that he looks a little off and a little funny is not exactly working against the film. And he's most definitely the most zany in this movie, too, because it's a much more sassy, um, probably cliche, um, urban approach. To the character, whereas in part two on, he was played by a Caucasian man. Yeah, it it, it definitely got a, a little awkward there in that transition from part one to part two. But
it's just very it's a very awkward transition but then trent haga becomes trent haga becomes like like you said he becomes the norm of what we were expecting you're not expecting but what we think of when we think of yep killjoy it's just like you know for instance uh you know many people play jason Voorhees, you know but Kane Hodder became the norm. He became the person that you think of. He was the person who played Jason the most after playing him several times. He you know, so identifiable. And he was the only one who actually played him more than once. So Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 a weird transition in, in the sequels, but I, I think, you know, the the character that we got to know know and love a little bit better in, in the sequels was just, you know, was played maybe a little bit less goofy but it just worked better and it's worked better for me he's but, he's funnier he's more he but he's more sinister than the yes sequel, i think in the later sequels after part two specifically yeah after part really this is is odd because this is a series that doesn't get good until part three it's the series where i could seriously just watch three four and five and be happy without seeing one and two ever again yeah, two, three is a great, great movie, and it's definitely the one I think everything hit the stride because I think it's the first movie where uh, I think the performance actually hit hit the mark perfectly, like the characterization that they got to with Trent, and obviously the casting worked, the the design visually worked, and it, he just. It, it all worked. They even the way they revamped the the plot structure with him being basically a vengeance demon, you know, like a clown pumpkin head. It all just worked a lot smoother, I think. So, it was like they didn't. It was like they didn't find the rhythm until part three. Yeah, they really hit their stride with the third one. It's and you know sometimes some series do take a little bit to hit their stride. Some some series I don't think maybe start as uh, clunky as others though because I think this one starts you know as a franchise of films it starts out pretty clunky for the first two movies. Yeah, to be honest, that you know for all the movies that got franchises, this one surprised the hell out of me. You know when I heard that they were making a second one because I saw it when it first came out in two thousand. I'm like, wow, this was not what I expected nor what I wanted uh, from a full moon movie. Yeah. And yeah, it's like I said, like when these movies were being done around this time, there were a lot of, there were a lot of sub labels and stuff happening. And, you know, this one was supposed to be the, the urban sub label for full moon. And just a lot of the budgets were, they were like super, super low. <laughs> I mean, they were, Oh, like, it shows. Of low, which is funny because I mean, part one still looks better than part two. <laughs> so, like visually, like film quality wise and everything, and it and even like sound design wise, like two just looks and sounds way shittier than part one. Yeah, the sound design on that one was really bad. The sound on it was just—I remember being so bad. It's just very cheap feeling. I don't. I. I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't like saying that, but one, nah, one is definitely a. a or I at think least I, being honest here, you, you yeah, can't it's, say it's a. At all. 
Yeah, one I think is a better looking movie. Um, I think the the main thing that probably trumps it looking better is is all of the really uh, dated very by you know twenty twenty standards really bad CGI effects. But that was the norm back then too, because at that point you know CGI effects were something that were really accessible to anyone, and everyone was doing them. And just because you know things are available doesn't always mean you shouldn't use them but yeah, you know it's kind of one of those things just because you can doesn't mean you should exactly but yeah where where are we at in the story here though uh we got uh the, the homeless man sent them on on their their mission since jamal and jada and her friend uh to do battle with killjoy which you know i made a note like the Jamal, he's such a lame duck, and he doesn't deserve to live through this movie. He doesn't deserve to live. You know, spoilers, but we're spoiling a lot of things here. But, you know, he his first thing he says when they get into Killjoy's world is to go, I got a plan. We're going to split up. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> You've been there for 10 seconds in your best plan? And he's like, it's the only way. It's the only way. It's, no, there's a lot of ways. It is a He is a very flat character. It just doesn't really do a whole lot of anything. <laughs> didn't bring anything to the movie. And it is funny that you point that out, too, because, like, when all's said and done, he is actually probably one of the only ones that you suspect is still alive. So, Right, yeah. Just, and then we, it falls into what I call the Death Race 2000 fight. It is literally all of them fighting, you know, Jamal, Monique, uh, Jada, all all fighting against Killjoy in this ridiculous fight scene. And, like, it, it was missing... It was literally only missing, like, the pow, bang, zoom, biff, pop, you know, sound effects and the, the you know, the words flashing across the scene, like, from a Batman fight. It was okay. just very poorly uh, choreographed and just a lot of flailing arms and kicking legs. And, yeah, I mean, it's just like... And Killjoy, you know gets jada to like hey you know if you kiss me and you become my girlfriend you know i'll leave this world and i'll never return i'll never come back to this world again which hint hint there's four sequels folks so <laughs> it you can tell where killjoy lies about uh you know keeping his word but and then something happens that i was calling all along like when i first saw this and even this time when i kind of forgot the reveal scene but it, it, i was calling all along Killjoy and Michael are both kind of one and the same, you know, now that like Jada agreed to, you know, be his girlfriend, it was all just a ploy and Killjoy morphs into Michael and like Michael, the the, the actor playing Michael is just such a, a baby face kind of character and such <laughs> a, a good guy, you know, I mean, like he, he just doesn't give off any kind of menacing vibe whatsoever so him mm -hmm. trying to be menacing on on a killjoy level is just lame it's just really lame but then even you know a few moments later jada stabs michael to death defeats him and how you know and how and again how jamal didn't get himself killed in the middle of all this it like he made so many dumb decisions that yeah, it just one, blows my mind. One thing that's funny that I, I want to point out, and it might seem silly 
saying it is is that i think it's during this whole sequence of everyone fighting and this is when they're all killing the dead people again leading up to her defeating michael then like when they originally died they died what baby boy t-bone lorenzo did you notice when they died as ghost zombie people they die in like the they die in the reverse order and lorenzo who you would think would be the big bad of the zombie villains dies first and then it's t-bone and then it's baby boy and they all like die really lame ways especially when baby boy like gets like his eyes gouged out or something and that kills him yeah there's really no way like they all get defeated very easily i mean lorenzo gets stabbed with a with like a katana sword Uh and Baby boy gets his. I think he's he, he's the one that gets his eyeballs uh, gouged out, right? And then yep. Yep. T Bone gets beheaded. Now I can understand beheading, killing just about anything, but like the other deaths, there's there's no rhyme or reason to them. But yeah. I never put it together that they died in the reverse order. Yeah, they die in the reverse order. I feel what because I mean I feel like they die in the correct order as far as character strength. Because I feel like Baby Boy would be the one that would die first, and then probably T Bone, and then Lorenzo, because he's like the big bad of the the gang, you know. But then, like when the zombie versions of them that they die, it's like you know the big bad dies first, and then T Bone, and then like probably the the weakest, lamest one dies last. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes just kind sense. of <laughs> to me, but I could be nitpicking. <laughs> but I also felt like Killjoy. Uh... Maybe I don't know if you'll agree with me on this one, but I feel like he played his hand too soon. You know, when before he sends the zombie horde out, he literally says to them out loud, he's like, well, I can't die in this world. I feel like he played his hand too soon. It's like he told them, like, "Okay, you got to go back and pay attention to what the homeless guy said. Go find my doll. And that's how you're, you know, know, he's basically just telling you got to find the doll and kill it or destroy it. But if he just hadn't opened his mouth, he he probably would have won and got the rest of them. But then they 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 run. They go back into the uh, ice cream truck. They go back into the truck, which and they and they lock the doors and they wish like you know <sighs> locks Killjoy out. I guess he can't. You know he hasn't got a second set of keys to his own ride. <laughs> But they they go they go back. They're transported back to Michael's apartment, which apparently has not changed in the last year because I, I think somebody in the writing room forgot. Like this, all you know, Michael did this seance and summoned Killjoy more than a year previous. So why are the candles still there? Why are the candles still burning? Why is the doll even still there? It you know again suspension of disbelief. I mean, if you can believe that there's a killer clown vengeance demon, I guess. You shouldn't take things like th- that too seriously. Exactly. <laughs> they they go to destroy the doll. The doll morphs and turns into Michael, who begs you know Jada to not do it, but she does. She stabs it. She. We're treated to what I call the Star Trek shake 'em up style kind of ending. Everything, you you know, the demons are shaking and, and they're kind of getting CGI'd out of existence. I, I don't even know how what to call that. Morphed out of existence, pixelated out of existence. But, like, the three heroes, and I use that term loosely, of the movie are shaking and kind of throwing themselves from left to right, kind of like in the old Star Trek TV show. <laughs> it is called it the Star Trek shake 'em up style. And then, mm-hmm. once again, 
boom, they go back to reality, superhero landing, down to the one knee, the Terminator Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, <laughs> landing. And, you know, that's pretty close to the end of the film, really. We get lots of disintegrations. Killjoy disintegrates into nothing. Uh, Lorenzo, Baby Boy, and T-Bone, they morph, digitize, uh, pixelate into nothing. And everything is, you know... It's, you know, all over. So what are they going to do is sometime later, they're going to a club. They're enjoying themselves. Jamal and Jada are there. Jada's talking about having nightmares. And they run into somebody that, you know, that I forgot the character's name. I think it was supposed to be called Ray or Raymond that shows up. And is this like. You know, shows a, a bit of interest in Jada. Again, like, everybody is trying to get with Jada in this movie. I didn't understand that. Uh, it was just <laughs> a little extreme. But then he's like, yo, how would you pay to get in here tonight? And I think they said, like, 10 bucks. Oh, I only had to pay two or three or whatever, or I got in for free or what, whatever. Uh. But, but to be quite honest, by this point, I had checked the fuck out. <laughs> I was just like, there's only five more minutes left of this movie. <laughs> I believe that, that actually was writer uh, Carl Washington playing that role. Oh, really? It was. I did not realize that. So I he actually got to play that. Killjoy for a bit. Yeah, if, if you if you look at his IMDb, he's actually uh, acted in a lot of movies. He's been in almost 100 things over the okay. years. Yeah, so he's actually a very, uh, say, pretty prolific, huh? Very prolific actor, yeah. So, but he does a a big reveal here, and they ask him, "Well, who are you?" And he's like, "You know the way he turns and says, he's like, I'm Killjoy." So, boom! But you know, he turned, he morphs and turns into Killjoy again. It's all over. Boom! Fake out at the club. She wakes up. Jada wakes up. She's in bed with Jamal. She just had a nightmare. Well, Jamal is, you know, woke up and now horny. So he's going under the covers and going to go down on Jada. And it's I I really feel like Freddy versus Jason got their ending, their fake out ending over this. He goes down and you know what's going to happen. You just you freaking know it. it. It's another freak fake out in bed because now Jamal is no longer Jamal. He is killjoy and cuts it's over it's the end and whatever god you're pray you're pray to if you if you've watched this movie like we have thank that god uh, if it's cthulhu godzilla crumb whatever <laughs> thank them that the movie <laughs> is over <laughs> after a double fake out <laughs> yeah, after a double fake out i hate fake out endings i hate like dream sequence fake out endings and that kind of stuff but yeah you know how i i still you know and if you've listened to even the first 30 seconds of this podcast you 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 know uh neither one of us really like this movie that much um but, but i still wrote a page and a half of notes i always hand write out myself myself out some notes and i had a page and a half of notes and only three times in them that i write the word bullshit <laughs> like was bullshit so for me that i hated that much it was still interesting it was still you know colorful you know and there was something that you know 
when I heard there was a sequel coming out, I had to see it. And as bad as part two is, when I heard there was a sequel out, I had to see it. So maybe it's just me. I have a thing for movies yeah, with yeah. killer clowns and and bad fake out endings. Yeah, you gotta you gotta give it a whirl. You never know what you might get because you know, like like we said, it it actually starts to really pick up in the later sequels. So. I mean, whereas you look at ones like one and two, where these are like, you know, very low budget films, even for full moon standards, um, some of the sequels, like they're, they're big, like especially Killjoy's Psycho Circus. Like you can tell there was a good amount of money in that movie because there's a lot of, a lot of characters, there's a lot of effects and production values. So these movies got really big over the years so it's one of the rare cases where the sequels did in a sense get better and better with if you just ignore the first two (laughs) it's very rare that like it takes something that's a franchise that's got five six seven sequels and be like yeah you know the last three were the best it's usually always pine away and say it was the first three that were the best it's not not the case with this one it's it's weird because this this period there were like i said there were a lot of sub labels you know sister sister companies to full moon at the time and this one it started out as what was called alchemy entertainment which was a subdivision dedicated to producing urban horror and i believe the second film it changed and became big city pictures and I just none of the movies ever really clicked for me. Uh, they Charles each of those sub labels always had like a person that was the head producer too. You know, Charles Aban is always the executive producer, but there was always a a person that was running that subdivision. Typically, you know, yeah, kind of like a like if it was Torchlight. It was David Cotto. You know, if it was if it was Big City slash Alchemy, it was Mel Johnson Jr. Uh, who is also an actor. He had been in Full Moon's Hideous as one of the mad collectors of biological oddities. He was an African-American actor. He played Napoleon Lazar in Hideous, who was always rivaling uh, Dr. Emil Lorca in that movie, if you've seen Hideous. I have not. Oh, so that will be a treat for you. Um, Mel Johnson's a great actor. He was he's hilarious and he is and so is um Michael Citronidius, Dr. Lorca. But uh he he was tight enough with Charles Band that he was hired to be the head of Alchemy slash Big City. So he was the main producer behind Killjoy, uh, I believe Ragdoll, the horrible Dr. Bones, and the Vault. And then after that, the next one or two movies that kind of came out through Big City, he wasn't involved with anymore, which would have been like Crips and Killjoy 2. So, but I was never a huge fan of the, uh, the urban label. They just, the movies didn't really click for me. That's not because I can't like urban horror because like I love the original like tales from the hood like it's, you can do you know horror like this and make it amazing these just didn't work for me on I think usually the budget, 
any the budgets of really hurt them. The budgets hurt them so bad. It was just there was no money to to really make anything happen. You know, there was just the the budgets were so threadbare. Yeah. And at, at this time period too, it's one of those cases too where there was a lot of stuff coming out like all at once. You know, there was just there were tons of movies during that you know couple of years. Uh, and there were so many sub-labels, you know, and the, and the main company. So there were, you know, handfuls of movies every year. So, the but you know, you get more movies and you get smaller budgets. So Yeah, maybe it gets all kind of watered down eventually. Yeah, and it was a case of, I feel like, you know, I think trying to, you know, corner too many markets at the, at the time, too. So they were trying to corner an urban market, corner a kid's market, corner the horror market, corner the erotica market at one point trying to corner the indie market by actually like acquiring uh, independent films produced outside of film that were like you know festival films uh, i mean there were there was a lot going on so i think it kind of at points is that there were a lot of good movies that came out of this period but at certain points i think it it damaged a lot of the, the output as well because the budget's presumably shrank so much that the movies suffered so yeah i I think it was just probably just a bit of saturation of the market their own market you know and thus you know shortening or or, uh you know limiting their budget didn't help help but you know it seems like they've been bouncing back more in in recent years i've been a bit more of a fan of kind of the 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 more recent like you know, I'm a sucker for the Evil Bong movies, obviously, uh, and uh, Ginger Dead Man and whatnot. I felt like that was getting back more towards uh, proper full moon roots, you know? Yes. Uh, of uh, being uh, little things killing people. It's just, you know, just the ghoulies, the puppets, the, the dolls. It's just kind of, it's what full moon is known for. It's not all they're known for, but it you think of full moon that's kind of where my mind takes it totally well we think we ought to go ahead and give this bad boy our our final rating and review and call it an evening Absolutely. all right you know you know the rules guests go first so go ahead and and uh do what you wish so Obviously, Killjoy 1 is definitely not uh, high up on my list of Full Moon movies. I worship Full Moon. I love Full Moon, you know. Um, but, you know, and I'll, I'll take the good with the bad, you know. Uh, but I do not think that the first Killjoy is a great movie. Um, I think it suffers from budgetary issues. Some of the acting is questionable. Uh, like I said, I think Angel Vargas is fairly decent in his role. Uh, you know, not everyone is terrible. I don't want to hate all over it, but uh, it just doesn't really work for me. Uh, I think Fulman's whole approach to urban horror at the time, most none of it really worked for me. So none of those movies would get necessarily high praise marks from me. Uh, but it does set the groundwork 
for what did obviously become a really uh, successful and recognizable franchise because Killjoy is one of those, you know, rogues gallery of villains that Fulham is known for now, like, you know, the Puppet Master and Radu and that kind of stuff, you know, the EB and the Ginger Dead Man, you know. Killjoy's right yeah, up there with that. Definitely so, right up there. Yeah, so I mean it, it did do something right. You know, it created a character that did end up being able to be taken and molded into something that um, I think had some lasting power. I just think that, you know, the starting point necessarily wasn't the strongest uh, of the franchise. And certainly not the worst either, uh, because I think it's far superior to its first sequel deliverance from evil but um you know so for that i'll i'll give it respect for the fact that it, it did actually create something that has had some uh serious lasting power and created a, a very popular character and actually did go on to spawn a really successful franchise but overall i don't really enjoy the first movie that much for me i would probably give it on a scale of one to ten, like, I don't want to. I don't like. I don't want to be negative, but I'd probably give it like a three. Yeah, you're coming in just a notch above my rating. Um, I'll go with my rating first, and then just the then get into my reasons why. I'm I'm giving it a two and a half, just because I felt it was, like you said, it was a very stale beginning to what became an otherwise really like you said really profitable profitable franchise and a, and a very good franchise once it got rolling it's this we've already said this before it doesn't really take off to the third movie and you know not many uh franchises can say that that they produce you know a couple of bad films and then started to get good I appreciate it for being the film that laid the groundwork for the later sequels, which I love. Um, but yeah, it's just the acting is all over the place. It's mostly really bad. Uh, the CGI effects just really take me out of it. And just the uneven performances, the kind of the lackluster writing. You know, I'm a writer myself, so I, I take the writing part very seriously. And they just, uh, you know, this was just not, not a heavy hitter for me you know that I, I love killjoy i love the character but i do not love this movie uh it's you know i'm a full moon fan of everything full moon and everything that charlie does you know good and bad that's the thing about being a fan you know you're a fan through thick and thin and this is just um part of the thin and not too thick and you know but I would still recommend for anybody that was going to delve into, you know, this full moon franchise. And, you know, with four sequels, it apparently, you know, it, it made some, some bank because you don't make four sequels to movies that are unprofitable. So that's very true. Yeah. You, you got to see the Genesis that was, uh, you know, what started the killjoy, you know, train a rolling, watch it. I can't really recommend it beyond that. Uh, and that being said, I still own the movie. I give it a two and a half, and I still own it on DVD and wouldn't get rid of it because I'm a Full Moon fan, so got to leave it at that. Yep. But my my boy, uh, 
Killjoy ended up uh, getting played by fellow Indiana native uh, Trent Haga, and he he really ran with the character later on. You know, again, uh, I agree. You know, part two is still not really good, but like three is where is where it's at, where it's it's a, a completely well well rounded film. And it really starts the franchise off in just so much a better direction. So I'll leave it at that and leave you to wonder, folks, when we'll be covering uh, any of the further sequels. Killjoy 2 will probably, you know, because I think we'll try to do things in order here. But mm-hmm. Killjoy 2 is going to be, be uh, a chore to get through, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a roughie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real roughie. But... That's okay. Every once in a while, we like it rough here. You know, we we can't we can't love everything, and that's why we decided to do this movie because it's a fantastic franchise that both of us like. And I know we yeah. want to cover some of the the better sequels, but we got to get through. You know, we got to get through a couple of the duds before we can get to the you know the meat and potatoes. Yeah, and you know every every franchise will always have the stronger and the the not so strong installments you know and i i view horror franchises like a like families you know there's always like going to be that one redheaded stepchild that probably doesn't really fit with the others or that sticks out <laughs> yeah maybe quite as successful or talented as some of the others you know but it's, family. it's still one it's still one of your children it doesn't yeah. mean you want to buy him a present at christmas time yeah, it's still family, so you you accept it. And at the end of the day, I will always say one thing I always say. You've probably heard me say this before. I will always take a, a bad sequel or something like that over a bad remake. So oh. I would much rather watch Killjoy 2, mm-hmm. you know, which I, I admittedly think is not good. Uh, I would much rather watch that than if they tried to remake Killjoy. So, yeah, I will take a bad sequel over a bad remake any day of the week. I'd, I'd much rather watch, you know, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare over the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Oh, God. <laughs> I'd rather watch it 10 times than to watch that remake once. That is abysmal. I, I would rather watch like Curse of Chucky over the Child's Play remake. There's an example for every franchise. So I would, you know, I'd, I'd honestly maybe rather watch Puppet Master The Legacy over Littlest Reich. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't afraid. So, come at, come at I, me, bro. <laughs> I ain't scared. Oh, I ain't scared. That's great. Well, man, it's been fun. Uh, you know, I, I had fun skewering this movie. And, you know, once again, you know, just because it's a bad movie doesn't mean we're not going to dissect the hell out of it. Because that's what we do here. We take things all all full moon and just tear it down bit by bit and expose it for what it is, good or bad. That's but, uh, point. Yep, because when your fans like us and, and you're that, I think we, we could probably be disgui- uh, or described, we could be described as rabid fans, which means, you know, we even got a little bit of love for the bad ones. Totally. All right. Well, thank you once again for uh, coming here and waxing about uh, Full Moon stuff. We finally, I think, re- reviewed one that uh, neither one of us gave uh, to g- glowing of a review. I don't know how many people are going to want to jive with us uh, 
<laughs> talking bad about a movie that they may love. You know, never never know. Maybe we'll get some hate mail, which, oh, I love hate mail. You know, not all the days are filled with wine and roses, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. That being said, we'll bid you a fond farewell, folks. You've been listening to Howling at the Full Moon on the Cinema Degeneration Network. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Fuck this.